Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all of the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, And cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life then righteousness it could indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Well, Stephanie and I have started watching a show called A Manifest. Uh, it's a new show, and it's actually a really strange show. Um, so I'm not recommending it necessarily. I'm not sure exactly how long we'll keep watching it because it's, it's got a really weird premise, but it's kind of interesting. Um, and the premise of the show is that there's this plane, and these people have been on this plane, and in their minds they're just taking the plane ride, but in actuality, back in real life, they've been gone for five years and everybody thinks that the plane crashed somewhere and that they're missing. And then when they land, they realize that they've been gone for five years and the world has kind of been moving as they were on that airplane, which they thought was only a few minutes. So the first couple of episodes deal with kind of putting back the pieces of their lives and kind of understanding how uh, things have moved on. For example, one, person's, uh, who, one person who was on the plane, his wife, when he got back, he found that his wife had a boyfriend because she thought he was dead. 
She'd kind of moved on. Another woman who was on the plane, she came back and found that her uh, soon-to-be fiancé had married her best friend. And so she, in essence, had lost her best friend and her boyfriend. And it's kind of a heartbreaking thing to see because it's nobody's fault. They're just kind of reacting to what they think is happening. They think that their loved ones are dead, and so they're kind of moving on with their lives. And so it's kind of, in a sense, a tragic story, but I think that we sometimes think about God in kind of a similar sense as kind of reacting. That we think of God as kind of reacting to circumstances. You know, we maybe experience things in our life that are difficult, and maybe we can't see any purpose or plan in those events. And so we think to ourselves that maybe God is just reacting to the things that are happening, or worse, maybe we think, God's just kind of up in the sky, just watching, not getting involved. And, you know, maybe we don't say that, and we would, as good Christians, we would never say that, but that's kind of what goes through our minds. We wonder if God really is in control, or if He's just kind of reacting to the circumstances of life. In the passage that we're looking at today, I think that Paul's Jewish opponents had trouble accepting a gospel that was not based upon the works of the law, and they had trouble with that because they believed that if, if God's plan was not based upon the law, it either made God's plan a failure or it made God's plan dependent upon the actions of man. Let me explain what, what I mean. So ancient Jews were taught from a very early age that they were supposed to revere the law of God. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command you, speaking of the law... Today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that's speaking of the law. And so a devout Jew's household would be kind of immersed in the law of God. You were to put it on your doorframe, to teach it to your children, to speak of the law wherever you went to. Similarly, look at what David, King David, said about the law of God. Psalm 19, he said this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So if that's your background, if that's what you grew up in, and when you were taught that the law was beautiful and life-giving and perfect as the expression of God's command in God's heart, how would you respond to what Paul says in this passage where he says, for all who rely on the, on the works of the law are under a curse? You'd say, Paul, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's whoever does not rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And they might cite the same passage that Paul even cites in this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 27. Where God says, or Moses says on behalf of God, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed be anyone who does not do them. And so in the Jewish mindset, they might say, Paul, you've got it all wrong. Our ancestors, David and Abraham and all of our heroes of faith, they were the people who kept the law. The people who were 
law followers. The people who were unrighteous were the Gentiles, the people who didn't know any better. They didn't have the law. They're the people that led Israel astray. They're the people who are under the curse, not the people who rely on the works of the law. It's the people who don't rely on the works of the law. And so in their mind, to avoid the curse, they had to try harder. They had to keep the law, keep it perfectly. And yet Paul explains here and elsewhere that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can keep the law and thus all are under a curse that no matter how hard you try, we all break God's law. So they might say, so wait a minute, Paul. You're telling me that God gave us the law. He told us to put it on our door frames, to talk about it with our children, to talk about it when we're along the way. And yet that law can't save anyone. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, what Paul would say. So then, Paul, why would God give us the law? Doesn't that make his project a failure? I mean, if he knew that the law was going to fail, why would he give the law? I mean, was it like he gave the people of the law and said, okay, try to save yourselves, and then they couldn't, so, well, I guess I better send my son because you guys have failed. I mean, was this kind of a, was sending God's son Jesus kind of a plan B? Was God kind of reacting to circumstances? Because it seems like if the law, if if salvation is not through the law, then God's project is a failure. That the whole law is a failure. But Paul says that's not the case. God was not simply reacting to mankind. He was always intentionally, he always had a purpose. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that salvation was planned before the foundation of the world. But here in Galatians, he goes back to Abraham. And he talks about how salvation was promised even with Abraham. And the reason he does that in Galatians is because devout Jews often cited Abraham as an example of obedience to the law. And so they say, well, our father Abraham, he's the one who followed the 